because I believe science might offer an answer to the curse of the Bambino. Why someone took so long to hire that guy is beyond me. Anybody who's not tearing their team down right now and rebuilding it using your model, they're dinosaurs. One of the great things about money is it, it buys a lot of things. One of which is the luxury to disregard what baseball likes, doesn't like, what baseball thinks, doesn't think. It's a threatening, not just a way of doing business, but, it's, but in their minds, it's threatening the game. How can you not be romantic about baseball? All right, Brent Porcia here on another Baseball Ops podcast. Uh, been really uh, enjoying the, the guests that we've been having on. I'm really excited about this guest. Um, another great baseball mind here. Uh, wrote a, a book that I'm excited to talk about as well. Um, Dana, his name's Dana, and it's, is it Cavalia or is it Cavalia? Yeah, yeah, you got it, first try. <laughs> it's tough, My, you know, I, I butcher names and at the same time too, I have a name that everybody butchers, so I'm, I guess we can relate there, right? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, so well, I'm, I'm excited about the, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. Sorry, th this is even breaking up a little bit. I'm excited to have you on, Dana, and I, I I, obviously when I'm excited, I like, there's so many things I want to say, just learning more about you. I'm really excited just to even learn about you on this podcast, but, um, seems that you've just had an amazing career or not had, but you, you've, you've had a, probably a first chapter of amazing career. I can see you really expanding and growing off of that, but can you kind of tell everybody who you are and, and, and why, how you've gotten here and, and, and all the great things you've done? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, I spent my whole career, as the uh, director of strength and conditioning and performance with the New York Yankees. And um, ultimately, I was, uh, I was an underperforming player that got into coaching because I needed as much coaching as I could get to kind of wring out that sponge and get, get you know, as much out of the talent that I had. So, you know, I relied heavily on, on strength coaches. I relied heavily on great hitting coaches and, and everything in between. So it really, you know, pushed me into the field of, of performance. And I went to the University of South Florida. And uh, at that point in my playing career, I had to make a decision. And the decision was uh, to actually stop playing because I knew my talent set wasn't good enough to get to the big leagues. So I had to make a decision. And, you know, going to school down in South Florida was great being a New York kid. I heard the New York Yankees were coming to town in February for spring training. At the time, I was actually interning. I left baseball and I was interning with the University of South Florida football, uh, just to get my feet wet, cut my teeth in the sport of, you know, or the arena of strength and conditioning. And, um, you know, the story dates back to around 2002. I head up to spring training, um, watching through a chain link fence with my flip phone, taking pictures of guys like Derek Jeter and Andy Pettit and Roger Clemens and, you know, some of the, the game's greatest players ever. And um, later that day, I went back to my internship. The strength coach there calls me in his office and says, hey, Dana, um, you know, I have an opportunity for you. I thought I was going to get in trouble. And uh, he's like, no, I have an opportunity. And uh, he says, if you want to help out the Yankees, I got a call from the strength coach over there. He's looking for a guy to basically clean the weight room, hand out towels, and give out water bottles. Would you have any interest in that? And I said, you know, as a matter of fact, I just got back from there. And uh, I'm very interested. So literally the next day, I pull up in my, you know, beat up college car, park it, walk into the office. They throw a credential around my neck with a C and an F on it that says clubhouse and field access. And uh, next thing you know, they're throwing me in my Yankee gear in the same picture I'm taking pictures of, um, you know, that same field I was taking pictures of the day before. Now I'm in the middle of it. And in that moment, you know, my life had, had pretty much changed, uh, you know, from that point on. And. I became the youngest strength coach in sports at, you know, 22 years old. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was a month into the season. I, I was actually hired that first year as an assistant. And a month into the season, they fired the guy ahead of me. And uh, Cashman calls me in his office and says, uh, hey, you think you could handle being the head guy? And I said, listen, <laughs> at this point in my life, there's not much I could, ha I could not handle. So, um, you know, from that point on, it was, it was an amazing ride. That, that's such yeah, a great yeah. story, man. And, you know, the Yankees, I, I've had good relationships with them, and I think they're a great organization, wouldn't you say? I think they're uh, the best organization. I mean, I spent a little time with Toronto in the minor leagues. I spent a little time with Pittsburgh. But the Yankees, it's the Yankees. It's the standard. It's, uh, you know, it's the evil empire. 
<laughs> yeah, I know. Unfortunately, I don't think any Boston fans here would uh, appreciate what we're saying. But uh... <laughs> I mean, you know what? We always say this is kind of a written rule or unspoken rule in baseball is you tip your cap to the champions. So yeah. Boston put together a hell of an, uh, of an organization and team last year, and that's why they, they were on top. So awesome. So what um, – what let's talk like being a strength coach in professional baseball. I mean, I know this could go on many different tangents, but besides just paying the dues, like what what did you really get good at as a strength coach that really helped you get to that level? Well, ultimately, when I first started, like I said, I, I didn't really know anything. I mean, I was going to school for exercise science, sports medicine, and I, I learned a lot of just kind of classroom based protocols and, and more of what I call theories, you know, and, and, um, you know, when I got to the game, when I, when I actually got to, you know, my actual day-to-day job, I realized that a lot of the things that I had learned, it set a good foundation for me, but it didn't teach me any of the hands-on skills that I needed. And, and ultimately, you know, I was the guy, I, I felt like an underdog most of my career, especially early. And, Man, I had to learn learn on the fly, and this was back when core training and functional training was just starting to, you know, become a thing. I mean, there was no data, there was no research, there was really it was it was very minimal at the time compared to what's going on in the game now. So really, I, I had to rely on just my own my own research. So I started to learn as much as I can about core training and and functional type training and all of this. So when players would walk in for the first time and, and see me, I, I could say, hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm Dana. Nice to meet you. Uh, you know, can I take you through your core? And that's really how I broke in just to start a relationship with the players. I didn't have much knowledge past that. But because I was able to build the relationships, they gave me the opportunity to learn with them. So here I am. You know, I'm a Chevy mechanic working on Ferraris right now. And... Um, you know, guys like Derek Jeter giving me a chance to work on them, Jorge Posada, and and that's how I learned. You know, I went right up to the big leagues, and and I got a chance to learn on some some really high powered Formula One cars. Yeah. So. Well, that's that's awesome, and so yeah. it sounds like you kind of pushed the envelope in the conventional wisdom of the game. I mean, going in at that point, core functional training that probably wasn't like, you know, the, kind of the status quo. I mean, you know, things were probably arm focused, even though I mean, I'm sure you addressed a lot of that, but have, have you, I mean, what do you think of how the game is being trained today? Do you think it's going in the right direction? Is, is there anything that you've really been a part of and maybe pioneering and helping it evolve well, in, in a better direction? Um, my, my guys, my viewers here are pitchers. So, I mean, can you, can you keep yeah. it specific maybe to, to pitching and, and what's what you've found success in or what do you think is, is the better way to develop pitchers at, at that level? Yeah, so, you know, pitchers today, it's um, – let, let me kind of go back. You know, back in the day, everyone used to train the same. Whether you're a pitcher, you're, whether you're a position player, I remember seeing programs that were basically the same for each group. It was about getting stronger, sitting on machines – and feeling a pump, feeling a pump, feeling a burn, and that's that's just what we did. That was that was what training was when you because it, it came out of the football world. So you know, players were saying, "Well, if I get bigger, I'll be better." You know, they weren't understanding that it was more about how the body functions, and then creating protocols to maximize the functionality of the body. So when I first got there in the game. I needed some level of differentiation outside of just, like I said earlier, core and the functional training. So what I started to do was measure out the players, how much external rotation in the shoulder, how much internal rotation in the shoulder, external hip, internal hip, total torso rotation. And when I took all of that data and I took and I cross-referenced that with injury histories that they may have had, pain patterns that, that may exist, and any sort of you know throwing issues that may have been there, now I have something to work on, and now I can actually prescribe a program that's specific to that player. And I think, you know, today, you know, I, I did it in a very simple way. But today, we're still not measuring shoulder rotation with a simple tool as a goniometer. We, it's not being measured. So if you don't know how much rotation a, a player actually has in his shoulder, what are you doing? You know? Yeah, and, and, and strength coaches is dangerous. I mean, if you don't know how much horizontal abduction – 
that 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 player has and you know he's dropping a ton of weight in the offseason on his chest I mean you don't you know he's, he's more vulnerable to injury knowing your ranges also tells you in your training where you should be going and where you got to be careful right yeah and and also having data year over year on a player to say hey he's losing internal rotation hey we're starting to see some issues here and being able to say let's get on this before it becomes a problem, problem. or hey general manager uh you know, I'm seeing some things here that are of concern. We may want to dump this guy because, you know, at that level, you can. I mean, as a high school coach, you, you don't have that that opportunity. You got to fix him. Yeah, you got to fix him. And that's that's a great thing for that level. Yeah. But when you're dealing with players, you know, that are making two, three hundred or four hundred million dollars now, you have to be aware of what changes are happening year over year. And for me, it was day over day, month over month. I mean, I was like, uh, much like a contractor would have a hammer in their belt. You know, I'd be walking around with a goniometer. Now, I didn't let that drive everything that I did because there is a human element and there'd be guys that would defy some of the, the research that I had where, you know, um, I was like trying to get, like a David Robertson, for example. He was so hypermobile that the numbers were really, all they were off with him, you know? So we would see so many different things and we'd have to, adjust and and that was how I turned my training facility into a little bit of its own lab and I was able to start to understand and discover some things that I I hadn't learned yet and I learned that through through my players you know yeah I mean there's always those outliers you know you you you, you do need to understand how the averages are performing but you do also need to understand there's outliers that can work outside of that and 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 you can't confuse that unfortunately I think you do need to understand there's core principles here it's just that not everyone might meet them or, or benefit from them. hundred percent. I mean, there's definitely core principles and foundation. I call them foundational principles that drive that drive the training process. And there's some things, you know, I spoke in Germany a few years ago and they're all, I felt like I was speaking to a group of, you know, Mercedes Benz engineers. And, um, there are some things though that you just do that don't, they won't, they may not make a hundred percent sense as, as the research would say in terms of, textual based research but they make sense when you're in an environment where you have a game in an hour and a guy's dealing with something and you have to fix it so there's a little bit of that triage element that, that we have to practice as well again when you're dealing with these high level athletes that have to play in an hour and the organization is expecting them to play in an hour so kind of you know you have to learn on the fly with right exactly things. and you know you're definitely a forward-thinking guy i can see it um I've always tried to do that because, you know, I tore my rotator cuff at 18 and I had to try something outside of the conventional wisdom. And, and, I, and I developed a ground up kinetic chain approach, a very much lower half power dominant approach and, and found tons of success with it and have helped a lot of guys with it. And it sounds like you kind of relate to that. And and the thing is, and, and, I'm, and I hope this is where baseball is going. Do you think this is where baseball is going? It seems like they're finally coming out of the shadow or coming out of the the caves and evolving here, but um, I mean, would you say it's, it's evolving in that direction? Or are we still stuck in a lot of this conventional wisdom? I think uh, what we're, we're definitely moving forward, but I, I think what's happening now, which is, you know, again, uh, as somebody again, that has to be in the trenches for 162 spring training and playoffs and to see what happens to a player over the course of that journey. I also think we're getting too crazy on the research side that we're we're taking guys that are simple-minded people and we're confusing them. Now there there's some players and I have them that want to know more and they love it. They geek out on it, you know, like a guy like Ross Ollendorf, you know, who was a Princeton guy, you know, he loves that. He wants to go deep. Where a guy like Mike Mussina who went to Stanford, do you think he'd want to go deep with you? He had no desire to 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 understand at that level. He had his own way of understanding what it was that he needed to do and wanted to do. So you still can't forget the individual player and the mind that each of them have. So it's not fair to somebody to push your research on them and, 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 and you know, kind of bathe them in it if they don't want that. It's your job to distill that research as a coach for them and put together great training protocols and plans for them. And the ones that want to go deep, you can, you can go deep, but I think right now that it's we're trying to immerse these guys a little bit 
too much. Yeah, my, my theories, my theories on that is, you know, you have guys, and I've got to work with guys at the major league level, and just recently a, a guy, Trevor Rosenthal, and he's a guy who could handle it, and he became he got to a point where he understood it as good or better than me, and I think he, it works for him because he struggles in certain areas that he's really restricted a lot of mobility stuff he's really restricted and it makes it so challenging for him to be consistent and and at his a game because he you know with the mobility aspects of it it really affects the time you have to achieve things in movement and so he needs something like this to help him through those difficulties i could totally see someone who's just highly mobile or just highly athletic that doesn't really have a lot of those challenges they don't really need that edge. They don't really need that information to over, overcome uh, the, something like that because they don't really have it. So I think those guys, you're right, need to be left alone and just let them find their happy place on them by themselves. And just mainly because I don't think they're as challenged. I mean, what do you think? You think that's what's well, the, the I, I difference think, here or no? I think you definitely have. Listen, and people don't talk about this word that much, but you have. There's talent. Talent is a real thing. You know, uh, there's players that just possess really, really high levels of talent and can go out and compete for years. And I've seen guys that don't even train and go out there yeah, and, right. and, and and heave, man. They shove it. It's amazing. But what I'm what I'm saying is, for me as a coach, I it's my job to educate the players, but I educate them all on the why we're doing this at a different depth. Each player depth, yeah. wants it and requires a different level level of depth. I mean, there's guys that would want to go to lunch with you to talk about their training, like a guy like Mark Teixeira. You know, I know he's a hitter, but then there's other guys like Robinson Cano, you know, who can care less. Right. So, well, I you hate know, those you, guys, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I know. But, but, you know, at the same time, you know, some of these guys that come from the Dominican Republic, they're – but they're just not educated in that way. Their yeah. mind doesn't work that way. So, so yeah, we have to be you're right. Those guys, they shouldn't be force fed. I mean, I'm totally with you on that. But at the end of the day, there's guys that really do need it, right? Yeah, and those are the guys that you go all in on and, and, and you give them everything you got. That's, that's and like I said, those other guys, it's not that you're not giving it to them. You're, you're delivering it in a different way, in a way that's more palatable and maybe even a little bit more of a drip than an actual, you know, full squirt, you know? What do you think of, we'll make these quick, we don't have to be too elaborate with these, but what do you think of, like, a lot of the trends, um, in, in, I make a living off of velocity, velocity is a big trend, um, now pitch design, like, what, what's your philosophies on, on this stuff that's going on? Well, I don't want to hurt your business, but <laughs> I don't. Care. I'm really no, in it to educate you. Educate yeah. too. So, so ultimately, I always I approach it from this point. I don't think velocity is an issue. Number one, if you built a foundation for a player, that's number one. And number two, it it matters where the velocity is coming from, mm -hmm. right? So we talked about this a little bit earlier. Is like if you're talking about generating velocity through the ground, we're on the right path. If you're talking about how could I put as much power and strength into an arm? Yeah, I'm with you. I, we're making a big mistake. I've always said to a player, think of your arm as just kind of a wet noodle that snaps as a result of the power that you generate between the force that you create in, you know, through the ground. If, so if we could check our boxes and say, hey, we have enough available range of motion in the shoulder internally and externally in total motion, if we're able to – you know, do a postural analysis on that player, and we see that the scap is in, in a in a good position, and there's symmetry to the best that we can create it. And we are learning how to build strength from the ground up and power from the ground up, and we can again create strong uh, linked transfer. Now we can talk about velocity, but if but if we're going to skip those steps, then we're just selling garbage. I'm with you, man, and and. and I go even farther. Like I want that same. I want symmetry and mobility in the hip as in the shoulder, because then if the hip doesn't have that same range or as much of range as the shoulder, then sometimes the the shoulder gets overworked because of that. I like to see that symmetry through the whole system. I'm with you, man. That's why I I, I would always draw it. It would be a square box. You got two shoulders, two hips. Let's make sure that they're all working well. 
Right. I, I think we're on the same page. And, you know, that's, you know, I've, I'm a, I'm a strength coach. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't, I'm getting my master's in kinesiology. So, I mean, I think that's where we relate is yeah. having that understanding. So strength coaches or more kinesiology guys are just looking more at movement through the whole body, not just the arm. I think, unfortunately, we've gotten into this conventional approach of just the arm because we didn't have enough strength coaches driving this, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I think now that there's there's much more of a, a focus on, on um, you know, uh, a strength coach that is baseball-based. But I got to tell you, I mean, I was, I was having a conversation – with one of our guys, you know, that, that does some of the research, you know, um, for the organization. And I, I asked a very simple question. I said, Hey, the research that you're doing and all these things that you're, you're finding, how have the programs changed over the past two, three years since we have somebody specific doing all the research? And he's like, well, we haven't really gotten to that point yet. You know, we're not there yet. And for me, it's like, well, are you, Listen, you could you could make research say whatever you want. It's just how is it changing, and how is the the programming and the prescription changing for that for the players? Well, that's why I I've always wanted to just push a lot of the research out. I mean, if you go on my Instagram, I must have fifty case studies that I've posted on it. And and you're right because it's got to trickle down. I I went to I don't know if you've ever been to ASMI with the baseball and injuries course. I sat, I sat down with Glenn Fleissig, and that's the first thing he said to me. He goes, man, we really need guys like you getting our research out. And I said, I said, well, now, now I know why, because I, I take all the bruises. You know, I, I, get, I take all the punches, and, and you guys do the work, which I'm happy. I'm happy to do that. But don't you think that's, that's been the real challenge in baseball? It, it's, it's, it's not so much getting the research. It's, it's implementing it, applying it, and, and you're right, adapting it to the player and then having to get through the knucklehead coaches that don't want to hear it, right? Yeah, yeah, well, I think research, I mean, again, it's um, sometimes it's only good as the paper it's written right, on. Right. So, so at the end of the day, if, if people aren't willing to, to look at it and strategically apply it, Things, you know, they don't, again, it's not, you don't have to apply all of it. I, I was a big person. I was a big testing guy. If I saw something, I heard something, I read something, and I felt that that would apply, I wouldn't dump my whole program, but I would test something and I'd see how my athletes are adapting and responding, you know, to that. Yeah. But what I started to see, you know, and you see it a lot in the personal training world as well, where they go to this, you know, a coach or a trainer goes to a seminar. They learn this new revolutionary technique and they dump everything they've been doing and now they start focusing on that. And and I just never looked at training as that way. I looked at it as I'm a coach. I want to have as many tools in my toolbox as possible and I may need to deploy them at different times, but I have to have them. So, because again, like I said, there's those outliers, there's players where your, your, your typical day-to-day -day techniques and training are not working. So we have to have some depth in our own toolbox as professionals in order to help maximize the performance because that's our job, that's our duty, that's our responsibility to help that player get on the field every day injury-free and maximize the talent set that they have. That's, that's our job. Yeah. I had a, my strength coach growing up, was, his name's Kurt Hester, head strength coach at Louisiana Tech. And... Kurt used to always tell me when I started doing this and I would ask him to help me with some of the programming stuff, I'd say, what do you think of my programming? He, he wouldn't even want to look at it because he, he knew he, I learned from him. He would just look at yeah. me and go, have you tried it? Have you tried it on yourself? And then I'd go, yeah, I have. He goes, does it work? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's all he cared about. You know, I think it's yeah. important. Like, have you actually tried it, you know? <laughs> That's, like That's kind of like I, I say as much as I'm a strength coach, I'm also like a I, I I do appreciate a little bit of bro science yeah. as well <laughs> because like I said, there's some things that are they're written perfectly in a journal or they're written perfectly and then you apply and you're like this this is not it's not taking you know it's like a seed you're planting it's not growing you know in the in the in the greenhouse it grew but it's not growing here and and yeah. and that's that's okay but you got to be open to try to try things um, you know I, going back full circle I just I feel like there's a lot of talk about research right now. And I think what's happening is you're taking scientists and you're putting them with these athletes and, and it's not blending that well. So you need a translator in between them 
which again could be the, the the strength coach or or some you know someone else on the the day to day staff that can put it in a language that's that's palatable and and, and easy to understand. Well, I I got really bold with uh, when I was consulting in pro ball. I I asked if I could be the assistant strength coach and um, head biomechanics analyst. Basically, I wanted to try to be that. Like, I wanted to sit with the medical staff, sit with the biomechanics guys, and talk nerd talk. But then I wanted to go down with the strength coaches and get into the bro science and then communicate it to the guys on the field. Like, because I knew you needed that. You needed that middle guy, which you, it's hard to find, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, there'll be some organizations that, that are open to that, but, but probably, no. you know. <laughs> you, yeah, you're probably gonna have a lot of guys, uh, an army of people that they. The other thing is, see, they don't want outside guys in. I know. You know, it's just what it is because it 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 can disrupt the the environment that's that's been totally. you know no, I built it. over thirty years. You know. So let's talk about your book, Habits of a Champion. So, how did we get to this book? So, what was the evolution in your practice that brought you to this book? It's similar to what we're talking about, and you, you could probably see kind of my my angles on things. But you know, I would read books about personal development, mindset, and 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 how to be a pro, right? You know, you read all these books, and I'm reading them, and I'm saying, man, this is like perfect world classroom type stuff. Again, what is the application? Here I am working next to Derek Jeter, Mariana Rivera, Andy Pettit, guys that own sports teams in the business world, and they don't do the things that are being preached in these books. I said, so you know what? I want to take the lessons that I learned on a day-to-day -day basis, being around the best, lessons I wish I knew when I was a player because I wouldn't have burnt myself out the way I did, and be able to apply them in, in, a, in a book, but also the book is meant to be more of a handbook. You can open any page, any chapter, and pull something. Yeah, I like it. Just just looking at the table of contents here. Um, I think the table of contents can really give you a good understanding of what it's about. Um, uh, um, as far as never get too high and never too low. And I saw the interview you did on, was it, what was that? Is that a Today Show you're on? Yeah, I was on uh, Good Morning America. Actually. Oh, that's so cool, man. And, and, yeah. and you kind of talked about that. You talked about not getting too high, not getting too low. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So, you know, I was one of those players that was um, a bit of a red ass when I played. I would want to be the guy that would throw the bat and kind of lose it and, um, I realized that that didn't really get me as very far as a player, you know, because my emotions were up and then my emotions were down. And I had a hard time after a bad moment, right? If I didn't perform the way I wanted to, I'd bring that with me into the next at bat or I'd bring that with me into my, my next opportunity. And again, watching a guy like Mariano Rivera, watching Andy Pettit, watching all of these guys, they would give up a hit, they'd give up a homer and they'd be able to lock back down. But they never got overly jazzed. They never got overly excited because if you get overly excited, the chances of you becoming overly down is much higher. Yeah. So I found yeah. these guys, when we would win, they'd be happy we won. When we lost, you wouldn't even know. And it would just be this, this flowing way of being that, you know, um, I felt if I learned that as a player and to have that in business – you know, the ups and downs don't affect you as much. It's just, you're just taking things as they come. Yeah, and I think and that, put and then it goes right in well to the next section, you know, consistency <laughs> over time, years of results. So you're going to be more consistent when your emotions are more in check, right? When you're not riding the highs and lows. Don't, don't, is that your perspective? Yeah, to totally. And, you know, the, the chapter on consistency, you know, uh, I would see a guy like Derek Cheater and, and, and Mariano. These guys were great in that. You know, I grew up being told I got to be the first one at the field and the last one to leave. That's what I was told. That's what I followed. And when I got to the big leagues, I watched these guys. They were the last ones to show up and the first ones to leave. I said, what, what the heck is going on here? And when I started to watch them, when they got there, boom, they hit it right away. It was get undressed, get your treatment, get in the hot bath, come in, train, BP, you know, stretch, T-work, BP, the whole nine, infield, and – and you almost knew to the minute where those players were going to be. And um, they never missed. And I always say the fastest way to disrupt a big league player would be to disrupt their routine. And a guy like Derek Cheater, he used to have the weather 
on his uh, computer screen that was that was at his locker, you know, because he'd be following clouds, rain systems, you know, low pressure systems to see if there would be any disruption in start time or in the game, because he knew that if that that could affect his ability to play that night. That's that's yeah. that's powerful stuff, and yeah, yeah. I mean, and then too, it's it when you look at that, it, it's showing you that that baseball. You got to be careful when you make it a big social event. Um, and I think, you know, when you look, go down to high school, sometimes low level college, it can be that social event. And then you get those guys that they're spending too much time at the park just hanging out. And and and, and what you're saying is a lot of these champions. The, the time at the park was, was work, and, and it really wasn't a social event. Is that what you're saying, too? There, there were times – I mean, there was, there was an opportunity to, to socialize, you know, when you would eat before the game. You know, during stretch, we would do some – you know, we, there would be some interaction. But for the most part, um, what I see at, at the youth level is it's very laissez-faire, laid back. You know, we do what we do, you know, when we get to it, if we get to it today – it, in the big leagues, it's business. Like it's really at the, at the root of it all, it's business. And that's when I look at young players and I don't see them take the game seriously. It's like, do you understand? You're telling me you want to go here, right? This is how they act here. You're not acting that way. What What is the what is going on in that gap? You say you want to be here. You don't act accordingly. So we got to work to close that gap for you. But, you know, socialization came second to preparation. Always. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I like the perspective with those kids too. Of if you're trying to be a college athlete and get a scholarship, you're you're really paid. You're a paid employee. I mean, I know legally you can't probably put it that way, but technically you're getting paid to play the game. So, you know, that's a big mindset switch for a high school kid when you're saying, "Hey." You know, these coaches want to hire you. Are you hireable? Like, do you actually take this uh, seriously? Are you a professional? Are you someone you would hire? You know, could, with this mentality you have on the field, could you get a job somewhere else? I think when you start creating that mindset or that perspective with those kids, I think it's eye-opening, don't you think? Absolutely, 100%. And I find, too, you know, it could be tough for high school kids. Like, I, I worked with a high school kid last uh, for the past three years, he ended up, um, you know, getting a, a scholarship to to Boston College. He's playing there as a freshman. Amazing. And, you know, here in the Northeast where I live, um, in the New York metro area, when you go through teams, you have maybe one kid or two kids on the team that are going to go play in college. And the other kids, for a lot of the kids, it's a social thing. So if you are the one that wants to go to the next level, you got to be really careful that you're not letting those other players take you down and take you away from your dreams and saying, Hey, you know, we could do this today instead. Or, you know, why do you have to work out today after practice? Let's go, you know, to the deli or the diner, whatever, to get something to eat. When you, you gotta be focused on your path and what you're trying to do and what you're trying to build, because that's everything. And that's why I say, this is, this is business. It's the business of baseball. If you're serious about it, you need to act that way. And it becomes a business very young. I mean, 18, you're technically could be in the business. So, and, and, and don't you think, don't you, I mean, this plays on the same, uh, you know, mindset of like if getting these desires to get into, say, a Division One locker room or get into a, a big league locker room, it, that's, that's a good desire because you, what you want to be is you want to be around people that are successful, talented, that ultimately, um, can can elevate your game. I mean, the, I think that's that's the real true benefit of, of playing at those levels is you get to around, be around people that are going to push you every day. I mean, didn't you feel that in a big league locker room? Hundred percent. Because I got a chance to go. Like I said, I was interning at a college, and in the same day, I was I was in a big league environment. And at times, I'd have to go across the street and watch the minor leagues. You could see a huge gap between a, a college, a minor league system. And a pro level, it's the gap is 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 huge, and that's why for me, like personally, I had to make a decision: can you play at the highest level? No, I could not play at that level as a player, but I still wanted to be there because I knew that being around that caliber of player and person would elevate, yeah, would would elevate me. And and there's there's a great saying that the CEO of Under Armour says, Kevin Plank, he's a friend of mine. He says, um, 
a rising tide rises all ships. Wow. So go to the top and chances are you're going to rise as well. And, and you know, at 22, I became a, a, a veteran very quickly. That's awesome, man. Great friend to have with him. I'm man. What, what an amazing story he, he was to build, uh, build that brand. Huh? Amazing. Yeah. So, so you talk about three things. Do, do I have, should, should we wait for them to get the book or can you give us a little secret in there? I'm kind of intrigued by this three things uh, section. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you know, the three things it really, um, what inspired the three things is, is really Mariana Rivera. So for years I'll kind of just do, a, just give you a little backstory, but you know, again, in 1995, Mariano Rivera took the mound for the first time in the big leagues. Skinny kid from Panama. You look at him, he's very unassuming. He kind of looked a little um, shaggy at the time. And all of a sudden, you watch him throw, and he's throwing fire. And he's just getting guys out one after the next. And, you know, as a guy at that age where I was, I was still in my developmental phase as a person, still trying to figure out who I was, what I was about, looking for confidence. And I saw this skinny kid and I said, wow, look at this. It's amazing. And then in 96, he comes back and he's even better. 97, better, better. He just keeps getting better. So I got a chance to watch this guy's whole career. Next thing you know, I'm working with him. So a few years back, I'm in his basement. We're stretching. I'm, I'm working on his arm, getting him ready. It was January, cold here in the New York area. And I said, Mo, I got to ask you a question, man. I've waited since 1995 to ask you this question. I've known you for a few years now, and, and it's time. And he goes, what, buddy? What do, you, what do you want to ask me? And I said, how do you do it? And he gives me a smirk, real smug look, and he says, do what? I said, how do you get it done in the biggest situations all the time? And he goes, buddy, I do three things. He goes, number one, I slow everything down. Number two, I quiet the noise. And number three, I throw one pitch at a time. He says, I'm in control. You know, I control the noise. I control the light. I control everything. So he he controlled all the different switches, and he was never allowing any externals to control his internal environment and internal world. But the other thing is, that wasn't a good enough answer for me. You know, I, I needed more. I wanted more. I said, I got the great one right in front of me. Um, I got to ask him. And I said, well, what about the big situations and the big games? World Series, game on the line, the whole thing. And he said, uh, buddy... There are no big situations. Every situation is the same. We decide what's a big situation, and we decide what we give life to. And that, that right there, that was the game changer for me in any, anything going forward in my life. Nothing was a big deal at that point. from that point forward. Yeah, I think that's profound. I mean, it, it seems cliche-ish, but I think all that is really, really, I mean, true. And what built him, I think – People, kids need to understand. I see it all the time. I, I, I've got kids that I believe are more talented than the the minor leaguers and the major leaguers I've worked with, and it's just a mindset. It's like, man, there's you're no different than this guy over here. I tell you, you're probably a little better. You just don't have his mindset. Um, yeah, but but how many people are working on that side of the game? I mean, there's no shortage of kids taking. I know in our area, there, there's no shortage of kids taking pitching lessons and and. And, you know, even guys now with the working out and all that. But how many players are actually training their emotions? Like in the moment, like, oh, my God, I feel elevated. I feel my heart rate starting to go up. I feel a little bit nervous. I feel that squeeze happening. How many people are recognizing that happening and caving to that emotion as opposed to saying, you know what? I feel this happening. Why is it happening? Now, how do I train out of that? And how do I bring that right. down? And understand that failure is a path to success. I think in, in baseball, my man, anything teaches you that. It's baseball. A lot of these young kids, I don't know what it is. It's, it's the video game uh, generations that they think they can't fail. Like, you're supposed yeah. to fail. That's how you become great. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and I got to say this because you, you pretty much nailed it. But I was with Mariano two weeks ago. I'm at his house. And we're, we're, we're moving some gym equipment and we sit down for a few minutes to take a break. And he says, buddy, I want you to do me a favor. I said, what, what now? And, uh, he says, I want you to tell everyone when you get a chance to talk to kids and coaches and anybody in between, I want you to t teach them how to fail. I want you to tell them that, like you said, failure is a part of success. And if they don't know how to fail, they will never have success. He says, you know, when I gave up the game against the Arizona Diamondbacks in the World Series, 
I wasn't upset because I gave up the game. I was upset because I couldn't get out there tomorrow and prove myself. I had to wait a whole offseason to get back on that mound. He says, most people, they want to go hide. They want to, you know, they'll bow their head in shame. He says, I wanted to get out there. I wanted to get back out there and compete and show them I could do it again. Yeah. He says, and I said, I said, well, let me ask you this. If you got that opportunity in that same moment, what would you do differently? And he looked at me and he said, I would do nothing different. I'd throw the same pitch and put it in the same exact spot. He says, I would change nothing. And that's the conviction. So you could be strong and you could be powerful and you could have all the range of motion we're talking about. But I say, if you don't have guts and if you don't have nuts, you can't pitch. Mm -hmm. But you got to have it all, right? I mean, we don't want to yeah. still mislead them this way. It's You don't don't just drop everything you're doing and, and just focus on mentality. You got to have it all, you know? Yeah, it's, 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 all, it's the whole package. If you, yep. it, that's, that's the whole, the whole thing. You got to have the whole thing. And you got some Tory rules, man. I think, to be honest, I mean, your your book is loaded, man. I think you've got a lot of great experience in here. But I mean, keep going, like Joe Tory. I mean, what 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 amazing things came from his mouth, you know? Yeah, well, again, when you work with Joe, you know, Joe was amazing because you know he had a really great ability to read you and read what was going on in your life, even if you didn't say it. So his gift was really understanding the energy that you have it's either good or it's bad and if he feels something off with you he'd pull you right in the office and you'd have a, a conversation and i say in the book we used to call him the godfather because he would sit back and, and have a conversation with you not judge you not make you feel bad but just get you to understand you know or get an understanding as to where you were at and and the other thing with joe is you know joe is what made us extremely um professional as a team and as always as an organization, you know, how we dressed, how we acted, it was always a suit and tie and shoes that were shined. And, and, and that is how we represented ourselves. It's a, it was old school, but I got to tell you, it set the tone. And when Joe left us and Joe Girardi took over, Derek Jeter carried that tradition on. So even when we had days when we could wear a relaxed dress code, you know, where you can actually go on the plane with jeans and a blazer, very few guys did that because the captain wore you know, his, his full suit. So everybody else followed suit. And I think it was just an important leadership lesson that, you know, it starts at the top and somebody needs to take ownership of that. Definitely. So, and, that, and that goes right into the na famous uh, Napoleon quote, failing to plan is planning to fail, right? Yeah. Yeah. I actually, um, one of my, one of my clients that, you know, sold this company a couple times over to, to private equity, um, you know, hit me with that. And, um, you know, it's the same in business. And it's, again, like I mentioned those players before, when they arrived, it was all business. They had a plan and they executed their plan. So I always say there could be a plan within the plan and there should be a plan within the plan. So my coach may have a plan for me, but I have a plan for myself. So it's important that that my plan is still executed because nobody knows me better than me. Nobody knows you better than you. You have to know what the plan is for you that's going to lead you to success. See, that's another thing that I see with young players is they rely so much on their coaches that they don't ask the question like, what do I need? Because a coach could take you through a general practice and give you generalities, but if they're not going at you specifically as an individual and communicating with you, much like a Joe Torre, how the heck can we know exactly what you need? Yeah, and it's like you said, the macro and micro planning. The There's a great segment from the famous Russian Olympic lifter Koklov, I never say his right name right, but he, he put it in a great perspective and he said this is more of a Olympic mentality, but it should be a mentality in baseball because we play so many damn games, is you, you, gotta, you, you have to always keep the eye on the ultimate goal. Like for an Olympian, the ultimate goal is to be in the Olympics and you know in, at the top of your game in 15 years going for the gold medal. And if you had that focus your whole career, every step along the way, isn't that important? I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like why you're in it. They're just, those are little things to get you to the end result. So you won't be so upset about, you know, losing an event or losing a game because you know you have more opportunities to improve on that because you're still going to that ultimate goal. And I think and it just comes down to people sitting down and saying, all right, who do I want to be in my career in baseball? Like, who do I want to be? Where do I want to 
find myself? What's my ultimate goal? And if you just keep the eye on that prize and, you know, you shouldn't lose your mind when you have a bad season or when you have a bad game because you know that that's, that's just one little step in that long process. And I think kids are doing that today. They're setting these short-term goals. They're not looking past their noses and they're getting really frustrated. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, I think um, there it's I, – I, when I talk to hitters, I know it's more pitching, but I, you got players that, that they think they're going to hit 1,000. And every time they don't get a hit, it takes them further and further from their goal, and they start to implode. And the same thing in pitching is like go one pitch at a time and compete. A.J. Burnett used to say you got to compete one pitch at a time. Compete every pitch because those pitches will add up to being what you, you know, determining what you did that game. And then that game will determine what you do. Then, you know what I'm saying? You can create momentum positive or you can create negative momentum. You got to understand um, what you're doing, but it is, it's a long season. And as much as you want to succeed in that pitch and that game, you're going to also just understanding the numbers and probabilities. You're not going to have success every pitch, every game, every inning. So it's, it's an average. And as long as you're competitive and you've defined for yourself what your expectations are for yourself in terms of your preparation, you win. I remember Roger Clemens in 2007, he used to say to me, he goes, D, you know, when I take the mound on the day I pitch, I think that I, I he really, he said, he, he, I don't know where he came up with this, but he said, I, I pretend that I have these sticks in my back pocket. One stick was, did I get my workouts in for the week? One stick was, you know, did I do my arm exercises this week? Another stick was, you know, did I study the op the opposing hitters? Um, the next one was, um, I forgot, like, uh, did I have a great bullpen? So, so he's like, if I go out there with those four sticks, I know that I hold the last stick, and that's to compete in the game in which I'm playing. But those four sticks are symbolic of my preparation. Yeah, it's that. The, cool. co the country boys use sticks. I think everybody else uses buckets, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We don't, I don't know if we use either of them. <laughs> but uh, I, I even like to tell guys, it's like you're training for a sprint, but you're preparing for a marathon or you're, you're playing, you're in a marathon. So yeah, you yeah. want to be quick and explosive and dynamic, but you're going to be doing this for a long time if you're, if you want to be in this game for a long time, you know? Yeah. And that's why you have to conserve your energy too. You know, you got to know, you know, so many guys, they take the game home with them. And they're stressing and they're flipping out and, and it's burning their supply down. It's burning their energy down, you know? Yeah, and I think we're, this is all in your book. I love even your, you know, the last chapter there, you have to go backwards to go forward. I don't think a lot of kids understand that. That's the failure understanding of how this works. Um, yeah, and you can't be, you can't, again, you know, you, it sounds cliche, but you can't be afraid to fail. You really can't because failing is like, if you, if you don't accept failure as a part of the process, that means you're actually going into the process thinking you're never going to fail. So that's the wrong message to be teaching kids and teaching people. Fail, fail often. I think Denzel Washington actually said that. He had a great speech. Fail often, but fail forward. So you're using your failures to push you forward. Well, you know, in, I, I like periodization models and programming, and it's you're kind of programming that in. You're programming them in to take a step forward and then take a step back and then take a step forward and take a step back. It's like we probably yeah. should do the same thing programming our mentality, right? Right, because so many people, they just want to go hard every single day, and it's like you got to put those download weeks in there and pull, pull back on the reins a little. Yeah, because you're, I mean, you're going to crash, and you're gonna be, your highs and lows are going to be all over the place. Yeah, 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 hey, listen. You know, if you were to take the fastest racehorse in history and say, okay, go run as long and far as you can, it's gonna eventually die. that horse is going to get tired and die. You know what I mean? And burn out. <laughs> You're right. We're the same. We are the same way. And, you know, um, I think now, especially too, the baseball's become such an all year round thing. You have to build in your breaks. You have to build in your time to your just. Seasons. Yeah. I was speaking with Cal Ripken Jr. Too, uh, last weekend. We did a clinic together. And he's like, I think it's so important that that kids especially take time to just just kind of be, just be and kind of unplug your brain for a little bit and, and then come back to the game, you know? Yeah, and I think that's where you saw Gus Kaplangis, who got me to, in contact with you. So I want to say thanks to Gus. 
been yeah. really cool having you on, man. Um, and, and I mean, I think this book is amazing. I, I think this is what every kid should read. Um, and, and I'm not even selling your book here. I really do. I think it's amazing. Um, and I'm and I just think there's so much in it. And, and just like what we've gone through, I think we've just been touching the tip of the iceberg with what you have here. And and I'm I'm excited to get more into it. Yeah, I I, I really I'm I'm intrigued by the Reggie Jackson thing. You know, I, I got to um I ran into him at the Hall of Fame one time. I mean, this guy is a legend. So, what I don't want to give you to give away. But what's the exciting news about Reggie Jackson at the end of your book? Well, the exciting news with Reggie. Reggie is definitely uh I always say we always say Reggie's that's just Reggie being Reggie. You know, Reggie had a has a a natural ability to chop you down in a second. You know, he looks for an opportunity to test you as a person and test your overall self-worth and your overall toughness. And he does that to see who's going to kind of buckle and fall down to him or who's going to stand up and go at him. And he definitely admires the second. Um, so, you know, just a quick story. I mean, I, I was in Boston one night and he had a really nice fancy watch on. And I said, Reg, that's a nice watch. So he sized me up. And he's like, it is, isn't it? I said, yeah, really nice. He goes, well, just remember, you can't get there yet. <laughs> so at first, I'm like, taken back. You know, obviously, the, the price point on it was, was pretty significant. <laughs> right. And he says, but I want you to remember something. Remember the word yet. It's not that you can't get there, but you can't get there yet. Yeah, I like that. So never forget that word yet. Yep. He says it's an important word. If I said you can't get there and didn't say yet, you know, at that point I would have been doing you a disservice, but never forget the word yet. Yeah. And you got a lot of confidence building here. A lot, you know, one chapter, you got to have Moxie find the bully and knock him out. So, I mean, there's a lot of confidence building stuff, I think in the book as well, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And the, and the bully is, is, is symbolic of fear. That's really what it is. Right. It's finding things that haunt you and, and constantly come up and chase you. And, and, and don't be afraid to kind of turn those tides and, and go at them. Like I said, it, the book, it, I wanted it to be a very practical book. I mean, it, the book is written much like how, how I speak. I mean, listen, I, I, I believe in communication at a very organic level and natural level. And I wanted the book to push that across to people and let them know too, hey, man, if you're a struggling player, you're not alone. You know, it's, if, if you're a coach whose job is in jeopardy, you're not alone. It, it happens to the best of us, but we can overcome those situations with some tools and some training. Well, so, so how, how can they get the book? So I, I want them to be able to get out there and get the book. What's the best yeah. way to do that? So, so real simple, two, two places, Amazon.com, Habits of a Champion. Nobody becomes a champion by accident. And uh, on my website, DanaCavalia.com, they can go there as well. So e either one, anything that comes to my website, I usually, I usually sign. Um, and then anything through Amazon, it'll, it'll, you know, be at your mailbox. Okay, cool. Well, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll try to put these links down in here for you guys. And cool. thanks for coming on Dana. And, um, thank you. Definitely stay in touch, man. And I'm, I'm excited and, and I'm sure the book's having success. I hope it keeps having more success. Thank you. And, uh, stay on the line. I will.